This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This morning, corn, it was down as well as traders adjust positions ahead of next week's USDA reports. The December corn contract down three cents at 321 per bushel. Traders are also expecting upward revisions to U.S. corn yields and production numbers next week. Wheat, it's lower as well after briefly attempting a move higher in overnight trade. Chicago wheat down nine cents in the December contract at 4.99 per bushel. Kansas City six cents lower in December at 4.22 per bushel. And Minneapolis spring wheat down three cents in December at 5.07 per bushel. While the technical charts remain pointed lower, declining crop estimates out of Argentina and Europe were a bit supportive, but on the other side, Canada is expected to have a large wheat crop this year. That's a look at the ice futures and U.S. markets for Friday, August 7th. In Winnipeg, for Markets Farm, I'm Phil Franz Workington. There are no such things as small chores on your farm, so you need equipment that works as hard as you do, especially during harvest season. That's where New Holland and Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John come in. During New Holland Harvest Days, get terrific deals on equipment to help you work more productively. Save with 0% financing and cashback offers on select tractors, hay tools, and harvesting equipment. Stop by Butler Farm Equipment in Fort St. John today for details. But hurry, Harvest Days ends September 30th, 2020. The opinions expressed during this show do not represent those of this station. If you've missed any of this show, you can follow the podcast at energeticcity.ca. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig, on Moose FM. Welcome to another episode of Moose Talks. Today, we'll be uh, joined by Candace Buckhammer, the manager of the Fort St. John branch of the BC SPCA, to talk about how they've fared through the pandemic and a major fundraiser that they're hosting right now. That's coming up in about 15 minutes' time. To start, though, we're going to dig into the B.C. government's back-to-school plan that they released last week and how that's affected School District 60 with Superintendent Stephen Petrucci, who joins us now. Good morning, Stephen. Morning, Doug. Thank you so much for making some time to talk with us today. So uh, why don't uh, we start briefly by uh, breaking down the back-to-school plan here. Uh, What's kind of different about it that uh, maybe we had in June and uh, even uh, as opposed to, say, the kind of things would be as normal when kids go back to school in September? Sure. Well, you know, I guess one of the fortunate things of coming back in June is we learned a fair bit about how that works. Uh, We were able to see how, for example, the cleaning during the day affected the operations. And uh, so a lot of those uh, cleaning and safety measures will look the same heading into the fall. And as uh, I told you in the spring there, Dub, these measures and conditions are all determined and decided by the public health office. And so many will look the same We are enhancing the number of sanitization stations in each of the schools, and we're adding uh, custodial staff. And so there's been some new funding announced by the provincial government to help out with things like that, Mm -hmm. as well as additional cleaning supplies. Um, You've probably heard that we are going to have masks available on request. Um, Even though masks are not the 
most effective or primary way to maintain a, a safe environment in the, in the school context. We are having those available on site. And so many of those conditions uh, will look the same along with some of the enhancements that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, what uh, also will be different is that it's designed to be full-time attendance by uh, everybody in every grade. Is that correct? Yeah, so as the Public Health Office, Dr. Henry, was looking at uh, the plan, uh, they've changed from the concept of density to the concept of learning groups or cohort. Mm -hmm. And so it is based on a full-time attendance K-12 model, and uh, that's in recognition of, you know, first of all, that with these conditions, the PHO has determined the school environment to be a safe location, and with that being full attendance. And the concept of learning groups is something that actually already exists in our elementary schools, Dub. For example, uh, you have a grade one classroom with a teacher, that's a learning group. Mm-hmm. And so they've basically taken that concept and uh, you know spread that throughout the system. And the objective there is to ensure that if there are cases in the community, they have a more manageable way of carrying out contact tracing. Mm-hmm. And so if you're spending more time with a particular group of uh, peers or adults, uh, they are much better able to follow up if there are cases of uh, transmission. All right. So uh, does that mean, like, for example, in high school, at least the way I remember uh, high school being for me many years ago now, uh, you would go kind of from classroom to classroom, right? Your chemistry chemistry class was in a different classroom than your biology class, phys ed, uh, which, of course, is always in the gym, right? Uh, that Are you saying then that's going to be different for high schoolers where maybe instead teachers come to them and then in that way you kind of keep the same group more or less together more often than you would, say, have uh, had this been a normal kind of school year starting up? Right. So as I was saying, their elementary and most of the middle school environment will look uh, very similar to what it has been in the past in terms of you have your classroom teacher or maybe a couple or three teachers involved throughout the day. And so people will notice very little change, both from a student and uh, sort of staff perspective. But again, along with all of the safety and cleaning regimes that will accompany that. Uh, In terms of secondary, which for our district is mainly grades 10 to 12 in town here, Mm -hmm. um, because we do have rural schools like Presbyterian Hudson's Hope that are uh, K to 12. But in town here, uh, that is where most of the planning and sort of consultation is taking place as we speak in terms of trying to figure out what that model will look like at secondary. Because as you pointed out, Dub, in that model, they go from class to class and there's many different interactions. And... uh, Part of this plan is where the public health office, Dr. Henry, has said that secondary cohorts can be up to about 120. I see. And so what our secondary administration uh, is looking at right now is, you know, what are the possibilities of reorganizing, rescheduling, if necessary, uh, groups of students into that size of cohorts in a way that they can still take their courses. Now, to be clear, uh, the public health office is also indicated that there may have to be a different, you know, different scenarios at the secondary level. And so that's what we're exploring right now. Um, ways that they can attend the classes, perhaps, you know, different ways of, of attending. And uh, that hasn't all been figured out yet. Okay, so that's a, so that's a plan that's kind of forthcoming that you'll release uh, 
I assume that before school is out, exactly how the secondary model will look. Yeah, and, you know, we're definitely going to see some instances of uh, some of the the singleton courses, you know, some of those courses that only a few students take. There yeah. might be the possibility of some of that being delivered uh, remotely. Um, but uh, generally speaking, we're still going to try and set things up at the secondary level where there is a regular attendance, there is instruction. We're just uh, planning right now the logistics of how these, these groups of 120 will will work out. And, of course... We'll be working with our northern uh, colleagues uh, in this area, like Vanderhoof, Prince George, mm -hmm. uh, and with our northern health officer, who actually will have a say and, and provide some feedback in terms of uh, some of our secondary programming. But in terms of K-9, to those learning group sizes are uh, being set at uh, 60. And as they say, in most cases, that system and that delivery is already set up that way in terms of smaller learning groups and the way they interact. Okay. Now, uh, you've kind of already touched on this, and I remember our interview uh, kind of in the spring, we talked about this a bit. Um, the expectation was always that we would try to get back to full attendance as much as possible, again, based upon how the pandemic was going, that sort of thing, right? Um, did you... I, I guess my question is how, given that you were sort of expecting that to happen... How prepared was the district for this plan that did come out in terms of was anything really a surprise to you or were you like, OK, this this is what we kind of thought was going to happen based upon everything that the public health officer has said that uh, the uh, minister of education has said previously while the pandemic was happening and and the rollout was happening in June for students to come back? Yeah, no, good question. I think, first of all, Doug, just to point out that the uh Dr. Henry has actually come out and, and stated that, uh, you know, both her office as well as the Ministry of Education and, and here in school District 60, we're just as worried about the implications and consequences of students not attending school. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the concept of always wanting to come back uh, to a full-time model as long as the conditions are safe was definitely our uh, collective objective. And in that sense, we were pleased to see that they were able to design the conditions to make this this work. Uh, we had not heard about the concept of learning groups or cohorts prior to the announcement or the information we received just uh, around the 29th of July. Mm -hmm. However, as I've pointed out, uh, getting away from the concept and logistics of density is actually far more manageable for most of our school system, in, in particular K-9. It's secondary, whereas we've discussed, it's going to take a, a lot more planning and thought around how to make that work. But as soon as we had those criteria, and by the way, just remind you and your listen, you and your listeners that it's uh, all of this information on this model is available online. It's called the K to 12 Education Restart Plan. And as soon as we had those conditions and criteria, we started to meet as an administration team, and uh, we'll be working with our principals and vice principals over the next couple of weeks. Uh, to make sure that we're prepared for this full return to school. And and to be honest, we really look forward to seeing the kids and the families. Absolutely. Uh, how prepared would you say you are to be flexible with parents and students who may 
uh, maybe are really concerned and, and would like to perhaps keep doing distance learning because they have the means to be able to, say, have a parent stay home and, and do it. Uh, and or, uh, you know, for a child who maybe has flu-like system uh, symptoms, pardon me, and has to isolate for two weeks, is is there still um, measures and, and, and infrastructure in place to make that happen so that they, the student's learning won't be interrupted as a result? A great question, and uh, you know, uh, reminds me that in these uh, in these conditions and criteria that have been spelled out by the PHO, certainly there will be some cases of uh, particular students who are immunocompromised, perhaps yeah. are undergoing cancer treatments, uh, taking specific medication, similar, you know, with, with staff. And in those very specific uh, circumstances, definitely accommodations will be made. Uh, we'll be staying connected with those particular families and and staff. Um, but overall, the expectation, as it always is, is that uh, students need to be attending an education program. Um, there's always, there have always been choices for parents, whether mm -hmm. that's distance education or homeschooling. But to be honest with you, uh, Dub, we're really working hard and uh, making sure that the public health guidelines that have been devised keep schools safe, will be in place, will be operational, and we will be prepared to receive those kids. So we just uh, would, would encourage our families to, to send their kids, and we'll make sure that we share all of the relevant safety and learning information uh, prior to any startup. Okay. I had a question from a parent I know who uh, wanted me to ask you this, and I, I hope you can speak to this. If you can't, we'll understand. But uh, if you yeah. have a child who has flu-like symptoms, as I sort of mentioned already, and they have siblings... Uh, do you know, is that family of siblings required then all to self-isolate and stay home from school because of the one child who may have flu-like symptoms or symptoms that resemble, uh, you know, symptoms of COVID-19? Do, do you know if that's a requirement then? The whole family has to be isolated at home in that situation? Great. No, thanks for asking that, Dub. And uh, first of all, uh, just to reiterate to, to everyone that if, if anyone is feeling sick themselves, whether it be staff or students, the... Mm. The clear message from the PHO and from the district is to stay home until you're feeling better and you're asymptomatic. Uh, from what I've read, and certainly in, in being consistent with how this was handled in June, and again, coming directly from Dr. Henry, is that unless you are sick yourself, there's no reason why you cannot attend school. So if you have a sibling who is sick, certainly uh, we'll be asking parents and staff to assess themselves daily, Doug. Mm -hmm. And we'll have some criteria for that. We're going to share some information of a bit of a checklist that parents can go through, as well as for our staff, where they assess themselves on a daily basis before they come into work or attend school. But having a sibling or someone you know who is not well, whether that's a flu or even in the case where COVID is confirmed, we take direction from the public, our Northern Health officer. But uh, the criteria are such that nothing would prevent them from going to school unless they're told by the medical health officer not to. Okay. Uh, one final question for you, Stephen. And uh, this has been covered before when we talked again uh, in the spring previously. Given that we've been through a lockdown and been through sort of the hybrid model that we saw in June, um, how prepared is the district to go back if need be? And we hope it doesn't come to that. But should it happen? Uh, I mean, how much of that discussion has gone on this summer? If a lockdown happens again, if we have to shut things down because there's a second wave, um, is the district prepared for that? Or will it kind of be another sort of, well, 
we're going to have to kind of learn as we go. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the world has changed up over the last few months and uh, nothing different for school districts in the, in the sense that, uh, you know, we're in a almost continuous state of planning, uh, continuous cycles of planning. As, as you mentioned, we were in stage three in the spring and uh, we definitely are required and will be prepared to move along those different stages, dialing up or dialing down according to what the PHO says. And so if there is a, a massive you know, resurgence, the second wave of the virus that comes and the PHO tells us to go to stage three or stage four, we will be prepared uh, to implement that. All right, Stephen, we'll have to leave it there for uh, today. But thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us about this. Oh, I appreciate that. And like I say, in the next uh, few weeks here, we'll be coming out with more information. And I appreciate the connection today. Absolutely. That's Stephen Petrucci, the superintendent of School District 60. We'll be right back on Moose Talks with Candace Buckhammer right after this. A fully guided fishing tour down on the island? Oh, I'm there! Port Eliza Lodge is your ultimate fishing destination on the wild west coast of Vancouver Island. Enjoy an affordable, all-inclusive guided fishing trip or bring your own boat to explore the west coast's finest salmon, halibut, and ling cod fishing just minutes from the docks. When you're not fishing, have a drink on the deck, swap stories, and enjoy the view. Port Eliza Lodge on beautiful Vancouver Island. To learn more, visit Port Eliza Lodge Everyone struggles with computers. New shortcuts, plug-and-play devices that don't play when you plug them, and more. Sit back and learn some stupid computer tricks with Vern from Computer Emporium across from the Northern Grand Hotel on 100th Avenue in Fort St. John. Docking stations. You probably have a laptop. Maybe it's even evolved into the only computer you really use. But you still have the old monitor, keyboard, and mouse from your tower or desktop-style computer. If you want to use these full-size monitor and keyboard with your laptop, you might want to try a docking station. A docking station is a box that stays permanently connected to your peripherals, such as your monitor, keyboard, and printer, and is ready for a fast connection when you bring the laptop home and plug it into the dock using only one cable. You should have a USB 3.0 port on your laptop to make all of these devices work properly through the one port. Docking stations start at under $100 for all of this convenience. Ask about docking stations at Computer Emporium. Stupid Computer Tricks with Vern from Computer Emporium. Helping you use computers more efficiently. is heard Monday to Saturday on Moose FM. Hi, Vern here from Computer Emporium. Ink, toner, printers, laptops, gaming parts, and accessories. We have what you need when you need it. Put us to the challenge and we will deliver. See the advantage of shopping at Computer Emporium, helping you use computers more efficiently. I know lots of kids say their grandmas make the best homemade food, but my grandma is so good she has her own kitchen. Mary Jane's Kitchen and Catering. She makes everything herself and it's so good, especially her spaghetti and lasagna. She even makes sandwiches for a bunch of places. I can't remember them all though. I'm only nine. Find Mary Jane's delicious sandwiches at Petro Canada Truck Stop, Chevron, Kelly's Convenience Store, Husky, and VM by the high school. Mary Jane's Kitchen and Catering, also on Facebook. Tim Horton's Bacon Breakfast Sandwich is now even better. Crispier, naturally hickory smoked bacon. Fluffy, toasty English muffin. Tastier than ever. Tim's Tastier Bacon Breakfast Sandwich. Taste the difference today at participating Canadian restaurants. Watch this show live on Facebook or download the podcast at energeticcity.ca.
Welcome back to Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. We're now joined by Candace Buckhammer, the uh, Fort St. John Bradge branch manager of the BCSPCA. We're going to talk a bit about how things have been going there through the pandemic and a fundraiser they're doing right now. Candace, thanks so much for joining us on Moose Talks today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So why don't you tell us a bit about how things have been at the SPCA uh, through COVID-19. Have you seen a big difference in the number of animals uh, uh, that you work that you've been working with as opposed to how I dare say a typical year would have gone? Um, I think we're, I think the big difference is people, a lot of people believe that we are closed because our gates are closed to Uh follow COVID restrictions. Um, We have been intaking animals right through everything. Uh, Thankfully, we were deemed an essential service, which wasn't going to happen initially. So we're very thankful for that, that we could Um, continue to be here for people in need uh, of emergency boarding if they're going to the hospital, estrays within the area, um, and a few surrenders are coming in as well. Um, Just as a, you know, kind of an idea of the amount of animals we're taking in, we, uh, from March until to date, we've taken in 287 cats Mm -hmm. alone. Wow. That doesn't include the dogs that are coming in, anything like that. That is just 287 cats, um, which is honestly a huge number. Uh, we are seeing a lot of um, abandoned cats, specifically mums and litters or pregnant cats ready to have uh, their litters. Um, so that's definitely putting a huge increase in the numbers of cats that we're seeing come in. Okay. Uh, do you attribute that the reason behind this, um, and, and maybe you don't actually know for sure, but uh, uh, perhaps people thought maybe they were like, okay, I'm going to add these cats to my family. Perhaps they lost their job or they had reduced work hours, weren't able to get the CERB, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, is it just more mouths to feed at a time when some people are struggling financially? Yeah, I didn't hear all of your question. My screen's ble- bleeping on me a bit, um, but I do think there, I do think there's definitely some factors involved. Um, as you mentioned, veterinary services um, when the PPE started to uh, become a, a shortage concern and it needed to be directed to hospitals where it was um, obviously most needed. Uh, veterinary services did have to shut down elective surgeries such as spay neuters. Um, we did have a number of people call us thinking that we were able to uh, do spay and neuter for them, which we can't, unfortunately. We we use the vets as well. Um, so those services were all shut down for a while. And I think that put, um, as you said, a big strain on people not being able to get the surgical services. And as well, we have met a lot of people um, that, as you mentioned, have lost their jobs, their, you know, their pluses, their savings are running very low, and they're having difficulty um, managing those animals. So part of what, uh, what we've done is trying to increase our outreach programs 
for our food bank services. Um, a lot of people don't know, but if you are struggling with uh, food specifically, dry kibbles for either your dog, your cat, um, or you have a mom with kittens, anything like that, uh, we do have foods available that we can help people with. Um, the hope is if we can help you maintain food systems, we can keep those pets in your homes where they really should be, right? Um, so that's just one thing that we're trying to assist people with during uh, the COVID times. And um, I, I hope that we're reaching people that are really uh, requiring services. So. Absolutely. And I want to return to the pet food bank uh, question in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um You've already mentioned this. You, you've had to make some changes due to uh, how you operate in response to the pandemic. I, you said your gates have been closed a lot more. Uh, I believe you're offering appointments for people to come by if they were looking at adopting pets and that uh, so forth since the pandemic. Uh, why don't you tell us what's changed and sort of what people can do if they, say, are looking at adopting uh, a stray or a, a, a pet who is looking for a forever home? Yeah, sorry, you're froze on my screen again, Dove. I don't know if you're still talking. Um, but for for our, um, we are still doing adoptions, definitely. It's a major part of being able to empty space within the shelter to be able to bring more animals in that need to come in. Um, adoptions, uh, what the DCSPCA has done is um, basically put all of our services online. So if you're looking to do adoption, what we would first um, ask you to do, go online to our website, www.spca.bc.ca. Through there, you'll find the adoptions link. You'll be able to search adoptable pets that are listed, and you can actually find a fillable online application. That application automatically emails to the branch we print it off go through everything we'll call the person and set up an appointment for meet and greet um due to how small our corridors and our spaces are we physically aren't allowed more than two people in any area so it is very much restricting our access for people to do a general walkthrough, look at adoptable pets, which everybody's used to. Um, So a little bit different for sure. Uh, But again, we do try to make appointments as quick as possible. Our whole goal is to get these guys out into homes where they belong so we can take more in. All right. In just case I freeze again, we're going to talk about donations and the pet food bank now. (laughs) Uh, But uh, you are running kind of a fundraiser right now, as I understand it, perhaps looking for donations uh, to fill up that food bank to help families who need to be able to feed their pets. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So with the food bank, um, all of our in-shelter dry kibbles, dry foods are donated actually by the Hill Science Diet Program. Um, So they take care of all of our basic needs in shelter, um, with the exception of cats or dogs who like whiskers or their purina or whatever it may be. (laughs) Um, So we do use some of those donated foods, but the rest of the donated food items coming in uh, specifically in the form of dry kibble are going towards um, the food bank services. So um, a big part of the way we're trying to reach more people, um, some some folks may know, we often take large-scale donations to the Women's Resource Center. 
um, and they divvy out to people who come in through their program. Uh, we're also looking at um, adding on the Salvation Army. So again, uh, meeting the needs of those directly uh, and most, um, uh, I guess, most in need at the time. Uh, we also have a system at the shelter. We do need you to phone and make an appointment for pickup, but we have foods here. So anybody can call us, say, I have, you know, uh, I have a dog, I have three cats. I need um, this kind of kibble for them. If you have this, this is what they're used to. Um, and what we do is actually do a contact uh, a contactless pickup where we will leave the items um, at our gate with their name on it and they can just drive by, pick it up at a specific time and they can go home and have food for their pets. Wonderful. Well, we're going to have to leave it there for today, Candice, but I, I really appreciate you taking time uh, to talk to us about this today. Uh, we may have lost Ken. Oh, there she is. Uh, yeah, I, sorry, Deb. I, <laughs> that's okay. I didn't hear any of that last part. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're going to take a break here and wrap things up right after this on Moose Talks. Do you know who has the best flooring in town? Yeah, Bronze Flooring. They have a wide selection of all types of flooring. Did you know they have an expert designer on staff to help with planning and all professional, reliable installations? Really? And their customer service is fantastic. New summer hours, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., closed weekends, in the Big Bronze Building on 96th Avenue. Check them out on Facebook. V.E. Brandle has been serving the oil field construction industry in Northeast B.C. since 1961 and have become one of the largest earth-moving contractors based out of Fort St. John. Their reputation is built on trust and quality of workmanship and have become a respected contractor in the oil and gas industry. They operate a well-maintained fleet of equipment and the use of top-con GPS technology to build sites, ponds, and roads to design. V.E. Brandle has been a mainstream in the community for over 59 years and a strong supporter of all nonprofit organizations and First Nations programs. Programs. For your next Earthwork project, contact V.E. Brandle, 250-785-2916. Quiznos has brought back their Greek gyro. Enjoy seasoned beef and lamb, crumbled feta, banana peppers, crisp lettuce, and red onions topped with tzatziki sauce on a flatbread, sub, sammy, or in a salad. The Greek gyro is back. Try one today at Quiznos, beside Walmart. If you're looking for hassle-free internet services, call the Peace Region Internet Society today. With coverage throughout most of the Peace, PRIS can get you connected quickly without the hassle of contracts or bundles. Visit pris.ca or call 1-800-768-3311 for more information. Our community first. This is Moose Talks with Dub Craig on Moose FM. Our thanks to Stephen Petrucci and Candice Buckhammer for making time for us today, and especially Candice. It sounds like we were having some technical difficulties, though it didn't look or sound like it, so that's great. Have you missed this episode or you'd like to hear or see it again? You can check out energeticcity.ca slash moose talks or on the Moose FM and EnergeticCity.ca Facebook pages shortly. You'll be able to rewatch the video then. That does it for another episode of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. want to say a big thanks to our studio producer and midday show host, Lindsay Cooper, for driving the bus on this show for the past little while. It's her last episode with us as she's moving on. You're going to do great things in Timmins there, pal. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Until next week, be well.
Join us next Friday at 10 a.m. for another episode of Moose Talks, a weekly talk show about Fort St. John and the North Peace.
beautiful, what's your name? I know you like it when I play that game. Just like I like it when you take my hand and pretend like you ain't gonna give it back. You got my mind all over you. Got me feeling 16, kind of green. I wanna make a move. I've driven down this road a time or two. Every curve around you feels brand new I'll be a rebel kind of reckless Drive your heart wild Do damn near anything Just to see you smile Do a little out of control You wanna hold your hand Gonna chase you like a boy Love you like a man Chase you like a boy Love you like a man Moose FM. Good morning. I'm Lindsay. Like Dub mentioned Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.